Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest from the band Built to Spill, from the band Tree People, Doug March is here on the show, and this is one that has been years in the making, and believe me, it is worth it. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Left for Damien. There is a Facebook page, a TikTok page, a YouTube page. An Instagram page, I mentioned that already. Uh, all of those can be found at Turned Out of uh, Punk on their respective platforms, Turned Out of Punk. And you can uh, get in touch with the show that way. If you want to support the show, support the show by telling all your friends every single last one about this podcast here where they talk to people about punk music. And uh, you can spread the word that way. Uh, speaking of spreading the word, spread the word that I play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. You can find out more information over at fuckedup.cc. There are some new records that we have coming out, constantly churning out new records. We've got some tour dates, including with the legendary, the originals, like truly the originals of the punk rock world, The Damned. And we also we will be going back to Europe to play some shows, and you can find out all that information over at fuckedup.cc. See, all right, on to today's show. As I said off the top, this one has been years in the making. Doug March is on the show today from Built to Spill, from the super underrated Tree People, and a, a fantastic band, Tree People, and a band that I've only really come to truly appreciate. I think through doing this podcast over the last few years. Well, it's been more than a few years at this point. I had some records by them, but. Only when you kind of put them in the context that you get from talking to people that were around back then do you really understand how important that band was. Uh, Doug is, of course, a unbelievable songwriter that has touched the the hearts and minds of an entire generation through his records with Built to Spill. Built to Spill, of course, have a brand new fantastic album keeping in their tradition of unbelievable records. When the Wind, which came out, I guess it's almost a year old. Just over a year old. So happy birthday, When the Wind. And to celebrate that, they will be going on tour throughout the month of October and into November. You can find out more information at builttospill.com. But that's not why you're here. Well, you know, you're, you're here to find out about that sort of stuff. But you're also here to hear Doug talk about, you know, brotherhood. <laughs> that's why we're all here. We want to hear these uh, incredible songwriters talk about straight-edge hardcore bands from the late 80s. That's why we do this thing. All right, so I'm not going to ramble on uh, anymore and let you sit back and listen to this thing in one second. I first met Doug at Sled Island, as we talk about on this show, and, and knew then that one day this would be a doozy of an episode if it ever happened, and now it finally has. Uh, I think that's it. I think I don't have anything more to kind of tell you about. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Doug March on Turned Out a Punk. Doug, thank you so much for coming on this show. Oh, fuck. Thanks for having me. Well, I think the last time I spoke to you was at a Sled Island Festival, and we talked briefly about how you used to be into punk and hardcore back in the day, but that you, you were leaving. And so we didn't get a chance to, I didn't get a chance to punish you on it. And now, Oh my God, I got you completely at my mercy. Oh, hello. <laughs> my cat might come in too. I think so. She has a little bit of a choking situation. She gets a little breathing problem, but. Oh, we just got to interrupt us too much. No, no. We just got a new cat ourselves after our, our last one passed away just after the pandemic. So it's, uh, oh, well, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great to have a new cat. Obviously miss the old one certainly every day, but at the same time, just having another like, just like, oh man, I'm a cat person. I I I'll take any animal. I'm yeah, not. I, I guess I'm not a rep, reptile guy, but I guess <laughs> if I ha- I'm sure if I had one, I would I'd become a re- reptile guy. Well, uh, that being said, we also used to have two dogs, so as I'm sure if we get two more dogs or another dog, I will become a dog person as well again. So it's just uh, I'm very much yeah, just any animal. But 
now we got to talk about punk and i got to start this off the way they all start off which is doug how'd you get in punk remember the first time you ever came across it the first time i what what about the first time i came across it do you remember yeah do you remember the first time you came across it yeah i think i i think the first time i heard about punk was i had an older sister um it was like eight years older than me and uh she went off to college and uh this was maybe like 1980 something like that and uh 81 and i remember her telling me about punks like she saw some punks at college kind of told me about them and it was like it was fine it wasn't you know she didn't seem to care either way about them and then next was my best friend in junior high school brett nelson who went on to play bass for built spill for the majority of our career he's not in the band now but he was like the first kind of like new waiver in in twin falls idaho he had like a flock of seagulls haircut in seventh grade and no one you know there was no one doing anything like that and he's also kind of like a he was kind of like a like everyone liked him and stuff he wasn't he didn't get any shit for it you know he was just kind of whatever but then he like he went and bought a sex pistols cassette and that was the first time i heard punk and what'd you make of it the first time hearing it? Like, were you already kind of like a rock and roll fan at this point? And had you, were you like aware of them? Yeah, I was, uh, I don't know if I was aware of them. I don't know if that was the first I'd even heard of them. I think I was even, I think they even their name kind of shocked me a little bit as a whatever, 12 year old or something. I was a little bit taken aback by, it. I, I thought I was kind of disappointed. I thought the music just kind of sounded like, like Chuck Berry or something a little bit. Like it just sounded like distorted Chuck Berry. I kind of expected it to be like weirder in a way or something, you know? Yeah. And then I just like, well, he's just, he's just singing so horribly. It's kind of, you know, I, I remember not really liking it much, but, but kind of it growing on me a little bit, even well, he and I would like, we we're best friends. We'd, we'd like, he was into heavy metal or I was into heavy metal, like crappy heavy metal, like Ozzy and, scorpions and Def leopard and stuff like like pop metal you know early pop metal in the whatever early 80s and he was in the new wave flock seagulls and so on but, but we'd you know we're such best friends we'd like take turns listening to one song off our new cassette for each other you know we'd like try to be try to like see the best we could in each other's music and stuff um yeah that was my introduction to punk and so where did you kind of like what what was kind of local music like in twin falls like were there any like are there any local new wave bands around that time no way yeah, yeah nothing at all brett was like brett's plan like right when i met him was like i'm gonna he, he played keyboards and i was like i couldn't you know i'd never known anyone that like you know i had synthesizer you know play with that thing forever just making weird sounds he was the first person that was like into doing stuff like that and he uh he was like, when when I'm when I get out of high school, or maybe I don't even know if I want to graduate from high school. His plan was to move to England and start a band, start a punk band. Oh, that's like, awesome. we, I don't th- I don't think we even thought that you could do it. You know, if you weren't in England, that's where all his favorite bands were. You know, but I don't know. It's funny. I was talking to this guy uh, Aryan, who's from Indonesia and plays in this huge hardcore band out there, and he was saying how hearing the Sex Pistols and how shitty Johnny Rotten's voice sounded was like oh my god i can do this Mm because like prior to that you mentioned like even like ozzy there's like such a range happening and such a like sort of a a, like a a, like a professional vocal versus john lydon which is like oh shit, i can do this oh yeah totally that all came later for Mm -hmm. me totally at this point i didn't even play an instrument this was before i even knew how to play a guitar or anything so it took i wasn't really on that music path with him i was i was a listener at that point and i was going to be a visual artist at that point in my life ever since i was a little kid i drew so i was going to be an architect because i was told that that's how that's what you do if you want to make a living off drawing is you become an architect i didn't (laughs) know anything about it or anything but that was sort of what i thought my life was going to lead to or maybe at that that point i started getting the comics i thought maybe i could go, go in that direction so where'd you kind of go musically after hearing the Sex Pistols? Like, where were you picking up music from? Well, my big thing was like, uh, I I felt like I had, I was doing all that metal stuff, you know, it's not even metal. I don't know what you call that stuff now. <laughs> it's, it's so like poppy, it's hardly metal, but hard rock or whatever. Um, heavy metal, 
that's what it was <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of metal it was heavy metal um uh i felt like my big transition was david bowie because he was kind of like you know i heard like some ziggy stardust thing i got like a greatest hits and it was like it really kind of took you from hard rock you know ziggy stardust or whatever to whatever new wave and stuff and he kind of opened my mind up a lot and then the other thing was rem i saw rem on david letterman um you know on their first record and and david letterman said that they were like the number one college music band and that really impressed me that college people you know they were number one with college and and, uh and they sounded cool to me sounded so different and weird and and so, and this all kind of happened at a time, at a pivotal time when I moved from Twin Falls to Boise. Boise's not a big city, but for, for, compared to Twin Falls, it was, it's totally big. And it was right when I, like a month before I started high school. So it was like a big time, time anyway, you know, um, being that age, 14, about to become a serious teenager. Um, so those things. And so I had this month off too, between moving to Boise and starting high school I didn't know anyone, didn't have anything to do. And that's when I learned how to play a guitar. Um, and that's when music started to take over for me. And then there was a, there was a college radio station there, um, or here, I'm in Boise now. Um, and they played some things. I heard the Smiths, heard some other kinds of things. And then in high school, there was, there was, there was already a punk scene here in Boise in whatever that year that was. I guess that was 1984. And there were some punk bands. And in high school, I met some kids told me about the punk hardcore bands and within a few months i was at a hardcore show so i guess going believe me i want to dive into that in one second but going back before that you know rem it's such a it's interesting how you have these major jumping on points for people getting into underground culture you know like the devo playing on snl is such a huge one and uh hmm. you know like like wow. um you know, like the, the later on, I guess Nirvana playing on TV shows, but like REM, I think as well is such a such an interesting gateway point because it's the birth of, I guess what would be called college rock, but ultimately alternative music and everything kind of starts with like the sort of REM explosion that happens, and so many people that wind up doing things in music get into music through REM making these appearances on TV and just you know kind of making that outreach. For sure, yeah, it was. Uh... And, and, you know, that was a time, too, where, you know, if you had music, um, you had, like, uh, you know, obviously there was no streaming. You had your your records, your tapes, whatever. And it took a while to get a tape, you know. It took a couple weeks or something to save up the money to go buy yourself a tape. And and so those, you know, they made so – they were so important. You listened to it so much and just drank it in so hard, you know. Yeah. So you mentioned getting to high school and meeting these kids that are into the hardcore scene. Is that like state of confusion at that point or like is septic totally. death still around or septic death was gone. Mm-hmm. It was state of confusion. Yep. That record's ripping. All they the records. I'm glad that's really sweet to hear. I, I, I so wish that that record had been recorded correctly because there's, there's bass on that record and it's fucking killer um it's really heartbreaking that they never got a good recording for themselves but they were just incredible and there were other punk bands too and i didn't really care much for any of the other ones they were the one for me and and that was and even and i didn't really even like hardcore just them there's a couple of hardcore things i liked over the years and to this day now when i listen to hardcore i, I almost love every hardcore i hear now like it sounds better to me as an adult than it did as a kid um but like bad brains i loved or you know, there are a few things, but I didn't really like, uh, you know, I like melody. It was always important to me. And I felt like State of Confusion had a lot of melody, even though, you know, it's hardcore and whatever, but it's had, had melody to me. Even Septic Death, I find, has a weird melody to it. And I find that's a huge influence on State of Confusion, or at least that's what I'm hearing. Maybe it's I'm just I, putting that on them. I'm sure it was. They talked about them all the time. I don't think I have ever even heard septic death i don't think oh. i've ever even heard them <laughs> oh you'll dig it really you'll, yeah you'll <laughs> dig it i'm gonna check them out first thing <laughs> there's there's actually recordings with kirk hammett playing guitar for him and james hetfield doing like backing vocals on some of the recordings and stuff <laughs> and uh yeah it's we were it, just i was gonna say we just did some so they soc just did some reunion stuff and three people in soc played together last week three people just got done with this little five-day tour 
and we're I think we're done. But I asked about you know I asked about Pusshead. None of those guys seemed to know what he was up to. I don't I don't know that those guys were super close with them. They're a few years younger and stuff. Well, obviously, fifty years of not seeing each other and shit. But. Yeah, I think Pusshead's still around doing like the toy thing, and mm-hmm. obviously there's a cult of Pusshead collectors that I think keeps them kind of doing that stuff but every once in a while he'll like wind up doing like a band's record cover like a hardcore band's record sleeve or something like that and it's 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 interesting the you know obviously the arties he made had such a huge impact on the graphics of what you know punk and hardcore is but you know the, i think septic death kind of gets overlooked at being this really shredding sick band and like hmm. especially looking at state of confusion as kind of like a continuation of that like i think very different and a little more melodic like you said and a little more but still it's like it's almost like the boise sound definitely there's there's no way they weren't influenced by that of course yeah did you know septic death like is like is this all stuff that you unearthed as, as an adult or did you hear any of this shit or hear about this stuff young or like where does where do they fit into your world it's all yeah it's weird it's all like stuff i kind of learned obviously i put the pieces together a little bit more now but as like a young person it was all kind of like stuff that was just you know i think being blessed by getting into hardcore just at the birth of like having the internet at school or having the internet at the library where you could kind of go and have access mm-hmm. and you could just research shit, right? Like you'd Puss had had a website called Puss Zone. I don't think he even did it. It was just like fans mm-hmm. and it had interviews with him and like old articles he wrote for Thrasher and every record he ever put out or every record he ever kind of like did art for or played on. So it was just, you know, having these sorts of places and being able to dig and then like you know like connecting the dots like you're on toxic shock records with the tree people Pusshead did the art for the first toxic shock release way back uh-huh. when a compilation so there's like you know i'm always fascinated by these connections and you know and like even tad like tad's connection mm-hmm. to you guys totally you're right and th- those connections are so interesting too you know obviously just pre-internet connections are so interesting because just the effort that people were going through and and just the there was only kind of just such a few amount of people that were really deeply involved in doing all this work. And, but the connections are so deep. So mm-hmm. I was like going into this, I, I've, I've checked out tree people, but then obviously before this interview, I like, I've got some tree people records. I mean, but like I went and listened to everything and just fell kind of completely in love with tree people. And then in researching it, finding out that there's a connection to diddly squat. And then I hit up Nate from Foo Fighters and I'm like, Oh my God, tree people and tiddly squat connections. This is mind blowing. Christ on a crutch. We played with Christ on a crutch a lot. That's a that's a good hardcore band. A killer band. And also so underrated or forgotten about weirdly. Yeah, that was a big hardcore band for me too. We, you know, as far as like I said, not a whole lot I listened to, but they were a big one too. But that's interesting to me because like that LP on Toxic Shock that you guys did, to me, that sounds like like a hardcore record in the same way that I look at, you know, like I spy from Canada or, you know, like some sort of like mid period, seven second stuff or quicksand. Like it doesn't sound like this stuff necessarily, but to me, that's a hardcore record. Yeah. I've kind of felt that way too. Yeah. So SOC kind of fell apart a little bit and in the runes of that, I was friends with those guys and got them to play, you know, how they kind of switched instruments. Wayne went from bass to drums. Pat went from singing to bass. And neither of them had either pl- had played either of those instruments. So it's kind of like just brand new. And then they, I was like, I was much younger than those guys. So for me, it was like the most thrilling time of my life, you know, like my heroes inviting me in to like make music together. Um, so we kind of were light. I, at first I played acoustic guitar um, we were, you know, we we're kind of rocking, but it was such a different thing. And then we made a, we we recorded a single. I remember I got this review in, in some god damn, what was that magazine? Was, there's like kind of a big punk. Not MRR. It wasn't. It it was smaller than that. But anyway, it's something that we all kind of thought was a good magazine, and they reviewed our single, our Tree People single, and said, uh, um college rock in the we could make it vain was the description of tree people and i was really like i was like that's a fair description but it was also such a put down you know so like 
you know, we're not, you know, we're not trying to make it, but yeah, we want, we want to, we were trying to sound like the, oh, to me, I was trying to sound like the pixies or dinosaurs mm-hmm. or something. But then we all moved to Seattle and we just started practicing all the time. We just made it our life. And then we became, yeah, we became a punk band again. We kind of, yes, they were a punk band. Then we made mellow music for a while or, you know, not punk. And then, yeah, I, I feel like the same thing. I think that's like a hardcore record too. And then, and then we kind of, the next record got a little poppier and then I was out of the band and those guys became, you know, some other kind of thing. Not, not hardcore, still more pop, but anyway, whatever. That, that's sweet to hear though. And then, and then, oh, the thing I was going to say is that same reviewer reviewed the Gree record and he loved it. And I was so happy. The Guilt, Regret, Embarrassment record. I was like, oh good, this guy, I was, I was glad to see this guy hear us again and hear what we were about. So. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, it, as it goes on in those later records, it almost becomes, you know, like kind of uh, a proto Midwestern emo kind of vibe to some of those things, some of those records. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, Scott's like a, um, he's such a rad singer. So, yeah, he, uh, and we all, I, I, like a lot of that emo stuff was big for us too. That actually, that stuff is really huge, like Rites of Spring and, um, uh, you know, Fugazi and um, uh, I don't know a lot of uh, stuff that was called emo back then was I mean I thought that's what it was all about or I was like uh, what's the band from uh, Grey Matter yeah. that was a huge yeah. band for me oh. loved them so much first LP is unbelievable that awesome. yeah totally and then the next record where they they started to sound like I keep I'm I uh, can't think of Guy's band's name before Fugazi. Oh, um, uh, Right to Spring. Oh, that is yeah, Right yeah, to Spring. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, then they started sounding like Right to Spring, and I thought they were great then too. When uh, you I, know, they, they they took that direction. I even hear like Dag Nasty in some of that tree. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like Hated, were you were you into that band Hated at all? They're Never like, heard of them. They're like a weirder kind of like once again blessed by the internet kind of in that they were like a more obscure dc band and a little bit after the fact with revolution summer but awesome mm. like really fantastic uh new uh numero group did a reissue i think uh, oh, a couple cool. years back too so oh, it. it's fantastic no I've, I've loved that i haven't I, it's funny you say that about an important thing because i that seven inch is awesome like i love oh, that thanks. record uh, and you list tad as a spiritual advisor on, the, on that record too um so he he's from boise originally right exactly and it was kind of like he moved to seattle and kind of gave us a little bit of help and you know he was he was just such a supporter of our of our band and music and, and the people you know he's just the sweetest guy so yeah. did he did he have bands back in boise or was it just tad yeah, I first knew him. He played drums for a band called H Hour. He's a great drummer. And they were kind of like a funk, kind of a, you know, like a, um, you know, punk funk kind of thing. Big boys like. Yeah. Minutemen mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 More, I guess more new wavy than those things. But but he's like that kind of drummer for sure. It's, it's awesome too, because, you know, for years I kind of wondered, like, how did that Tad 7-inch wind up on Pusshead's label? And I guess it's like, that's uh-huh. once again, that Boise connection. Yeah, totally. That's sweet. <laughs> Cause it's such a, it feels like, and it's interesting with tree people, because I heard you in another interview talk about not really connecting with the grunge stuff happening and being mm-hmm. more kind of into the Seattle hardcore scene mm-hmm. um, and being part of it. And it's now it's all parsed as being like one thing now, but the, mm-hmm. the minutiae differences between these different worlds, like, you know, something being considered, college rock because it sounds like dinosaur jr or husker do versus a band that's trying to sound like minor thread or the bad brains it's just so interesting how now it's all kind of like looked at because i guess streaming's really broken a lot of this down but Mm -hmm. as one kind of genre but then it was like micro genres totally and it was so important back then to us for some reason you know (laughs) and it's and it's funny how much we hated bands who sounded like the bands we liked you know A weird, a weird mentality we had, or I had. I don't know, you know. Like, oh, those guys, you know, those guys sound like dinosaurs. I don't like them. I don't know what that's about. Well, it's funny because, like, Nate 
when he was on the the podcast from from you know Diddly Squat and mm-hmm. and he was saying how he remembered seeing Nirvana at that Aurora Ballroom show and Nico Case was at that show and she was talking about how transcendent it was and like when she was on the show and then I was like what'd you think of it and Nate's like yeah you know I, I checked them out for a second I'm like oh they they, they sound kind of like Nirvana and then just shut the door and walked mm-hmm. away you know and it's like it's so funny because these were like major differences back then between these scenes and like people that are your own peers, like you don't always relate to them. It's such an age thing too. The age has so much to do with it. Like we, you know, we recorded this record with Steve Lobdell um, and he, uh, he's just a few years older than me and everything was like, we're just off on everything. Like he thought only the first dinosaur record was good. I think you're living all over me is good. He, he doesn't like Sonic youth. You know, once once Sonic Youth did like evil, he was done with them. And that's like where they start to sound interesting to me. But old surfers, he only likes the first record. I'm I'm hairway to Steven all the way, you know. It's like uh just like those little differences, you know. And the same with me. There's things that, you know, there's like a whole bunch of 90s stuff that I'm just don't give a fuck about. I don't want to trash talk anyone right now. Yeah. yeah. Podcast, but uh, you know, bands that everyone seems to love that I'm like, nope, I miss that one. It, it's kind of, it's interesting how, I guess there's like a flattening effect that time has on things where like people yeah. look at things as being a part of it, you know, like it's, it's funny because um, Kathy and Toby from Bikini Kill were on the podcast and they're talking about the number of bands that get lumped in to Riot Girl, And mm-hmm. it's like, it was not a thing, let alone a lot of these bands would not want to be considered part of it because they were around way before it or just completely removed from it. Totally. And I mean, and I think of that too, like bands from the sixties and, you know, you can, we do the same thing with them, you know, mm-hmm. I do. And it's like, oh, those guys probably hated those guys. And those guys were probably, you know, like had nothing to do with, you know, such a, yeah. When you're, when you're in it, it seems so, I don't know, just a different perspective. Well, and I think that's the benefit you get with age where you eventually, like you said, like now you can listen to all this hardcore and you love it. Like there's a, once you're removed from it enough where you're like, don't have this personal investment in it, you can kind of realize like, Oh, it's all cool. And it's all valid. Totally. Totally. And that's really like, like I love music and I love people that make music more than ever. And I love live music just more than ever. And, and I'm not, I think one thing when I was young is I, 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 lo- I loved music, but there was only certain things that really got to me, that really spoke to me. And then, you know, my mind expanded and then I was able just to, to appreciate more aspects and things about music. I think it is when you're young, you kind of want music to be a certain thing. You're like, I want, I want it to be this, or at least that's how my mind worked as a young person that I was like, like I, when I bought a tape, I had to like, struggle to get into it you know it had to grow on me um nowadays i can tell if i like something right away you know if it's worth it or not and and there's a lot of things that i think aren't worth listening to but i'll find something in them to enjoy you know well that's the thing it's like now how would you get into a difficult record because yeah who yeah exactly who has who why would you spend time with that when you could be finding some something better you know you know something that makes more sense to you right away yeah, yeah, something totally, immediately yeah. connects with you. Yeah, for sure. That's true. And, you know, other than someone just making you do it, someone talking you into it. <laughs> yeah. Or making you just playing it for you and, and you don't have any control over the stereo. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, or having to listen to something enough. But that was always kind of, like, to me, a big part of, like, as a teenager, that was my understanding of music. Like, the good stuff is the stuff that it takes you a while to get into, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, and that was like that was the case. Like the stuff that I loved the most was the stuff that I didn't like at first. So I don't know. Maybe over time my brain figured it out, or I don't. I don't know. It's I don't know. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM. You'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. So I guess, is it through State of Confusion? I don't know, maybe it's tad before that, but it seems like State of Confusion putting out the record on Subcore had a deep connection to Seattle. I don't know that that really was much of a connection. I don't I don't know. I never met that guy or anything. I don't think he was, he wasn't really part of anything for us. I think he's just someone that we found to do that, but I could be wrong about that. Our connection to Seattle was tad. Our main connection to Seattle was mostly just that Wayne wanted to move there. And we were like, oh, yeah, let's move. We'd like to get out of Boise, too. It wasn't even so much like to go and make our career in Seattle or anything. It was just like, let's get out of Boise and go to a cool city and then also play in the band. You know, no one no one had any any sort of illusions of like the band doing anything other than being fun, even though we worked our faces off on it because it was the funnest thing to do. You know, practicing and working on it was what we wanted to do all the time. But no one. No one thought that anything was going to happen other than we make records for our friends and our family, you know? Well, it seems like you're also moving there just before moving there to make it was even something people would talk about doing. Like, it, in, yeah. you know, like at that point, it seems like it was a really different town. It must have changed so quickly. Yeah, I don't even, I mean, you know, I don't know what my perspective was at that time. But yeah, exactly. People definitely just think that stuff because that was happening or or people think that I moved away from Seattle because the grunge had exploded and I just didn't want to be around it or something. And none of that's true at all. You know, that's, you know, make music anywhere and, you know, live anywhere. Well, it seems like also you guys were much more part of like a hardcore DIY scene, you know, like the Olympia stuff and all this other stuff that's happening at, like it's Seattle's fascinating to me because, you know, obviously people talk about that grunge thing happening, but at the same time, there's this killer hardcore DIY scene that eventually gives birth to the riot girl and, and so much great stuff out of Olympia. Unwound and mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's like, there's, you know, there's just like, there's just so much stuff in Seattle around the same time as all the grunge stuff's happening. Yeah. And we, we were just sort of like floating around whoever would have us, you know, we had some friends that kind of played in kind of a straight rock band. We played bars with them or we had some kind of straight edge kids that liked us in, in Bremerton. We'd, that that we'd get shows through them we get throw shows with the hardcore scene a little bit or even in a little bit of like the grunge scene too still you know play with tad or played with you know um bands like that love battery or something some bands that were just kind of that were more like the seattle sound so i don't know we just kind of fit into different things flop i don't know if you ever heard flop do you know that band yeah they're so great. They we just we just played with the singer Rusty's new band. So I've been flops been on my mind, and that was the band I thought was going to be like the band to make it from Seattle. They were I thought they were like the best, the best band in Seattle. You know how it goes. When you said Straightish Kids out in Bremerton, is that um is that like Ben Gibbard and and his friends? Because he was he was like a Straightish Kid out there. I think maybe a little bit later. Really? Then, but... No, no, none of these people. You know, they played in some bands and stuff. I can't think of any that you would know. I can't even think of the bands off the top of my head. Um, but no, they're just kind of some kids. Just, yeah, I don't know. Because you wind up doing records uh, on Battery Records for Greg Anderson's label. Would you ever play with, like, yeah. Brotherhood? Oh, yeah, Brotherhood. Wow, that's great. 
I never played with or saw Brotherhood, but Ron and I worked together at Kinko's. Oh, rest in peace. A, a legend. One of the greatest oh, ever. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I didn't even know that. Passed away a couple of years ago. I've, uh, maybe it was in last year. But um, Yeah, he was a really sweet guy. I, he and I got on really well. We were good friends. Well, I, yeah. I, yeah, and just, you know, like Overkill Records, his label put out like the first Integrity Records, you know, and... and such an incredible... I never followed I never followed what he did really after I after I knew him in that time so I haven't even thought about him for 30 years but no that guy was cool he um I guess he afterwards he did that band resolution yeah which, yeah totally which yeah it was on the same label as Galleon's lap which I guess you shared members that's Greg's with band uh-huh yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. Eric played in it too Greg was in some other band that practiced in our practice space and that's how we met him he like put out a tree people single mm-hmm. back before he had we've we've, i can't remember what his label was called back battery oh that was battery still back then huh yeah yeah it's battery i think first or second release then was our tree people record i think it is because i think he does oh man i'm trying to remember all the records on engine kid is on there i know and there's like maybe four or five releases but yeah you guys are one of them and a great record too your record on there is awesome oh fuck thanks it's it's cool too how you know you look at you know, like the, obviously music history talks about all these other bands from Seattle, but then you like, you look at your guys' place in music history. You've got guys from Sun O hanging out with dudes from Built to Spill, hanging out with guys from Brotherhood. And it's just such a, it's such a layered place for music. Yeah. You know, it's just like this, what I was saying earlier about just like, there's only certain people that were into it. And when you're into it, you're so into it. And it was your life and it was your, you know, everyone's whole, uh, you know, personalities and identities were so tied up in this stuff, you know? And I mean, also- I'm, not, I'm not saying that they aren't still now today, but, you know, you had to really, you had to, you know, it was, it was, I, I, I don't, maybe I'm overestimating what, how much the internet makes things easier for people now or something, but um, probably makes it harder, actually. I don't know. <laughs> I think it, it makes it, yeah, it's weird to like think. It, I think it, I think it's just different, right? Like, there's obviously finding places to play and places to practice and and live now is is much more difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also like this accessibility. But it also, as you said, in the same time, everything's out there, and you can mm-hmm. listen to literally any song. So you're still fighting against the tide. A, just a different challenge, right? Yeah, but it's still fascinating how it draws these kids that wind up doing interesting things in music and culture like it still is a place that i guess says you can do it and people that are going to want to do it and have that drive to do it are going to find it and and use it as a launching pad mm-hmm. yeah. when you guys get to seattle you know it's before this nirvana thing kind of explodes what did you think of nirvana i liked nirvana i wasn't super into it i thought it was fine i thought he was a really i thought his voice was really good and um i was more like i said i was kind of more into pop i, I was into more i thought it was, it was too simple for what i liked at the time i wanted things a little more complex for some reason yeah um, i definitely if i moved there now i think i would i would have liked nirvana better yeah like i never really liked simple punk until i got a little older for some reason so who were some of the bands that so you did ar- like? i'm sorry i just want to say it's so arbitrary the things that i like thinking back to what i thought about things i'm not like well this is how i felt to me it's like this kid that i was thought arbitrarily some weird thing you know and i still kind of feel that way you know like i don't know i think you mentioned it before though it's that passion right like the, you this was stuff that was really important like you invested in finding it and the definition of it and i think this is still the case too but like the definite it's like a religion right and your sect of this religion is the true sect and you know the totally. true god exactly dinosaur spoke to me so intensely that nirvana was like oh that's cool but this is this is going to my soul <laughs> yeah for sure do you remember the first time you heard dinosaur yeah and it, um someone gave me a record a friend of mine started a zine and and people and sst sent him some records and he gave me a few and so i only had and it was like right after high school i just got a record player i was switching from cassettes to records and uh so i had five records and that was one of them and so i listened to it a bunch and i didn't really know what to think of it it was like it sounded really dissonant to me it stuck out it was you're living all over me 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, those guitar solos are so loud. And I listened to it every once in a while for like a m- month or something. And then one night I, I ate some mushrooms and listened to it <laughs> and it just opened up because it was so perfectly like I was familiar with it. And I, you know, so I knew, I knew how it went. And then it was like, oh, now I'm getting this stuff. And then and that was my jam. Yeah. It's funny how like Jay being Jay, not really like a drug guy, but at the same time, like he makes drug music. Uh-huh. <laughs> like <it's... laughs> Everyone does. Everyone does. That's true. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like listening to minor threat high on mushrooms. <laughs> It can be a bad trip, though. You could have Uncle Ian on your shoulder telling you, <laughs> throwing your life away. Did Tree People tour much outside of kind of, you know, Seattle and Boise? When I was in the band, we did just Northwest things. And then we did one, I think maybe did one West Coast tour and then one national tour. And that's, that's all, that's all I did. And then they did, I think they did a lot after that. Is that when Toxic Shock had put out the LP? Um, when Toxic Shock put out the LP, we did the West Coast thing and we did the national tour after CZ put out our record. That, uh, that, uh, Toxic Shock label is unbelievable. Like when you go through the stuff that they put out, it's like incredible. Really? See, I don't, I never paid much attention to it, but one thing about them is that they are cool. That guy, what's his fucking name? Was it the guy who sang in, um... Oh, what's the Bill. other band? Was his name Bill something? Maybe Peace Corps. He was in Peace Corps too, I think. Uh, I didn't really. Pl- I, I never knew he played music. If he did, was it Bill Warbucks? Mm, that doesn't sound right. I can't okay. believe I can't his name. Some Bill something. I'll, I'll try and find yeah, it. I out. don't think he played music. He had a record store. He was just the sweetest guy. He 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 gave us back our record after a few years. Just like that was his standard deal. We didn't know anything about it. He could have kept our record forever, but he made a thing where after whatever five years or something the record reverted back to us we were able to own it so he's a cool dude yeah and it's fascinating like who like oh speaking of people that passed away in dinosaur jr um his band when he was in decry they put out an lp on toxic shock like uh man is a bastard the pre-man is a bastard bands were all on toxic shock like mm-hmm. they put out records from all over the world too like it's a it's a really cool label like a really and the best raw power singles out on toxic shock too wow it's it's uh it's it's cool and also like the fact that like was it through Jack and Dino I guess that connection would have happened. I don't think it was. I don't know how it happened. That was all Pat, our bass player. He was kind of the manager person that made made our connection. So I don't even know how he ended up hooking up with them. I think we might have just sent a demo to him. I'm pretty sure that's all it was. I think he, he responded to a demo, which is another rad thing about him. <laughs> Bill, did you say Bill Musburger? Is that right? Well, I, I just I thought Bill Warbucks is a, the first name that popped oh, out Lord. to me. But I, oh, I once Musburger? again, that's just so, maybe oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. I hope Bill doesn't hear this and or whoever. I'll this. correct it in the intro. I think uh, you know. I, I think the fact that we're talking about this label is <laughs> is you know we're one of the few places that people are celebrating this label right now. So sure, hopefully, appreciates that side of things because <laughs> it's. It's fascinating how much of this stuff kind of like goes into, you know, building this scene that winds up producing some of the most important bands, you know, like Built to Spill, like, like, um, well, the Foo Fighters and, and Nate and stuff like the, these, these bands that are kind of like hugely important to all music, but it comes out of these like, you know, dudes putting out records in their basement or, or people, not dudes necessarily, people putting out records in the basement. Yeah. Did you get? Do you guys ever tour Canada with the Tree People, or play? You played Vancouver, I know, later on, right, on the reunion. Yeah, I think no, I don't think we ever poked our toes into Canada ever. How far did you go on the national tour? Did you go east? I take that back. I'm sorry, I take it back. We did play Canada. We played Vancouver. Um, Tree People did totally in whatever to uh, ninety ninety one or something like that. Ninety one or two. Did you notice a change in touring? after kind of the alternative explosion happens was it easier some bands come on say it was easier some say it was harder afterwards i didn't i don't know that i had that good of a sense of the whole situation i don't i hadn't really toured enough to really under you know understand that uh you know it's yeah because it's fascinating when like this touring circuit that we kind of all follow 
is something that's grown out of punk and hardcore. But then you have these bands like, well, Paul, who you've done stuff with from Butthole Surfers, like Butthole Surfers that just like lived on the road and just, you know, seems to like squat in town to town and kind of tour that by that existence. Yeah, no, we were nothing like that. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I guess we are you saying kind of like the DIY scene died away a little bit when Alternative came in or something? Yeah, it just changed. Like, it seems like there was a, um, you know, like like some bands talk about how everything exploded, so there's more people coming to shows. There's a lot more coverage of what's going on. But then if you talk to people that were more on the DIY level, or, or certainly DIY is a political kind of outlook, it wasn't necessarily a good thing. And it was a time of kind of like great strife within... Maybe people trying. Maybe people seeing that there's some potential to make money off it or something. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in the past, there's just some kids or whatever people renting a hall and just doing whatever they like throwing a party or something rather than, um, yeah. So yeah. Did you guys get approached during that like period? Tree people by labels, by majors and stuff. No, we we uh, um, yeah. CZ was the best we could do, which was. Uh, um, this is a whole other can of worms, not, not a label. I wish I would have avoided. Um, we tried to get on sub pop. Scotty went and talked to John Poneman one time, uh, tried to get him to sign us and they wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, we were just happy to get signed to anything. And so we signed to CZ, but no, we never had any interest. I always felt like if tree people had stayed together, we would have been, we would have been bigger than built spill would have ended up being, I think that we had a lot of momentum and, I think we would have, I think we were getting so good that we could have been like, you know, not, not the same level as Blink-182 or Green Day, but I think we would have rode the momentum of those bands a little bit. It's interesting how like, yeah, the sound that you have on that record sounds like something that could come out today, you know, and, and, and sort of resonate with where hardcore has wound up in recent years, you know, with the, the melodic kind of edge to it, but still that, that real aggression as well with what's going on and it's interesting you say that because like uh brian baker says the same thing about dag nasty that if they were mm -hmm. able to keep that first lineup together they would have been as big as pearl jam so you're a little more modest than brian baker's but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting how bands sometimes are just not for their time in a weird way like it, it it's you know mentioned seattle like seattle had a sound that certain mm -hmm. labels were looking for. I'm sure Sub Pop by that point was maybe even trying to distance themselves from that sound. Mm -hmm. Whatever they were looking for wasn't what Tree People sounds like. Tree People sounds like a band that, you know, would have been on, you know, J Tree or, or, or Matador a few years later or something like that. For sure. Did you, at the end of it, was it just something where you felt like, because it, it is like sonically a departure what you wind up doing next. Um, did you feel like, you were kind of like at when, you know, where Jay was when dinosaur forms after, after deep wound kind of falls apart or where Lou was, you know, where the sound just wasn't resonating with you anymore and you had to go somewhere else. No, not at all. I was, I was into tree people. Um, I kind of had some dereliction of duty. Um, cause I fell in love and, and pursued that instead of uh, music stuff and kind of, you know, bummed out other people in the band who wanted to pursue the music super hardcore and I wanted to pull back a little bit. And so they went ahead without me. Um, but like the first, you know, some of the songs on the first Built to Spill records were going to be Tree People songs, you know, I'd written them to to be Tree People songs. And, you know, um, it was fun. And it was, it was also fun and exciting to, to do my own thing, to be the the main creative force in the band and make, make all the kind of musical decisions. That was a blast. And, and I was into like pavement was a big influence at that time, slanted and enchanted, you know, to make some music that was more experimental, poppy, you know, just more weirdness, not tight punk, you know? It's funny too. Cause like pavement, you know, Malcolmus is another guy who played in a punk band prior to, right? Like at a hardcore. Oh, band. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, you know the band the authorities they have that song i hate cops anyway they no. were they were kind of like the the junior band to the authorities is what was he a singer a guitar player he was a singer but he said oh. he used to go to he said he went to the gilman and he saw no effects play there <laughs> <laughs> that's great i know what an amazing confluence that would be um 
We, did, we, saw, we, we crossed paths with no effects a few times. I think tree people played with them a couple of times and SOC definitely did. Well, that's the, it's like an interesting point in music and punk at that, because it's prior to everything exploding and then resettling again. And there being like a sort of like a reestablished sort of underground scene, but everything's kind of bubbling up and all these bands that would wind up exploding from their different scenes are intermixing with each other and playing together. It's so, such a weird point to have yet yeah, tree people and no effects on bills together. But I guess, I don't know, maybe it's like the, uh, there is like a, a quest for melody and a love of whatever definition of hardcore each of you had. For sure. Totally. I, I, I always loved no effects. I was, I mean, I never listened to the records, but I always loved seeing them. <laughs> Nate told me he, uh, Greg told him he wasn't allowed to wear a no effects on stage shirt, uh, shirt on stage with Brotherhood. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. Uh, this has been awesome, and uh, I've really appreciated, dude. This has been. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on here and, and do this because I feel like Built to Spill is such a legendary band, and you never really get talked about as being from this hardcore scene. Oh, it's it's sweet to talk to you. It's so cool just to hear someone talk about state of confusion and just have them validate it, you know, like someone that wasn't around for it that's interested in it and appreciates it. Like that means so much to me, just to hearing you talk about those guys. Well, I think that's the other problem that kind of happens with this scene is that so much stuff gets canonized and we we tend to look at certain scenes which had the benefit of, of either huge labels that he eventually built themselves into huge kind of brands for this thing or access to big media. But Boise's kind of cut off from a lot of that sort of stuff. So a lot of these bands, unless they got out, don't really get talked about as much. Except at death, you know, but, but totally, that took Pusset being, yeah. you know, it took Pusset being the uh, graphic designer for everybody to kind of, I think, give Septic Death part <laughs> yeah. of the shine. Well, that's what upsets me so much about those SOC recordings. I just wish that there was just this, this real record of what they really were about, but you know, that's how that happens. They're lucky to even be recorded at all, I guess, you know, because that took a lot of doing you know, to, to get your hardcore band into a studio in Boise, Idaho took a lot of doing, you know, scraping together the money, trying to deal with these engineers that don't have any idea what this music is you're trying to make. You know, there's just so many and, you know, and, and not having any blueprint at all, you know, that was what impressed me about Pat and, you know, SOC and the Tree People guys was just, you know, booking shows and making posters and all this stuff. There, there's, there's no blueprint for it, you know, just figuring it out. And it was cool that they cared enough and, and that they just had the imagination and tenacity to pull it off. I was, I was just along for the ride. I was just a music person as far as all this other diy stuff i was useless and i wasn't pitching in much money or anything so i appreciated so much what uh, all these other people were doing to make music happen for everybody well you know being there in boise talking to people it seems like tree people are kind of the band that kind of like built a lot of the stuff like people talk about the band obviously built this bill as well but with such reverence and such you know like the importance of that band and it seems like that kind of comes out of state confusion very directly in a way too. 100. Was silence your guys label? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. It was, uh, it was SOC's label and then became ours a little bit. And it was kind of, you know, something you throw on there if no one was putting it out. You guys should just re re-release all that stuff then, or it should just be re-released or remixed or something. It'd be so sick to have that out again. There's a little bit of stuff going on. I know they did re-release the SOC record, the um, A Street, the 6.3 million acres, their first record actually yeah. doesn't sound too bad. No, I love that record. That record's amazing. Oh, yeah, 6.3 6 million acres is okay. A Street is a great album, but it, you can't hear it very well. A Street, check it out. A Street's the one on Subcore, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, that that's the Subcore one. Yeah, exactly. That one also got crazy distribution. Like that was, you find that in Toronto used all the time. Like it oh, just, that's cool. And I think it, because it looks, it, it, the cover looks a little weird. Like it looks like a late era SST record or something. Mm -hmm. So I don't think people give it the chance because when you put it on, that thing goes. Yeah, so good. Well, this has been so good, Doug. And anytime you want to sit down and, and talk about music with me, Jay Mask is not giving me your number, be damned. You're always welcome. 
Damien. That was really sweet. I appreciate it a lot. Really, I was just so flattered when I even heard that you wanted to talk to me. I didn't, when I saw you guys play, um, I'd already heard you guys, um, a friend of mine who had turned me on to some of the best music of my life, like turned me on to the Wipers. He's a guy my age. He turned me on to just, like whenever he said something was good, it was good. And he hadn't turned me on to any, anything in years and fucked up. He was like, this is like, it's like hardcore, but it's like good, smart, hardcore. And you, you should check it out. And I just loved it so much. I was so excited to see you guys play and was so loved it so much. Loved all the Mountain Dew you poured on your head or whatever the fuck happened. It was such a fun show. So when I heard you want to talk to me, I'm not a podcast guy, but I was like, fuck yeah. Well, thank you for the compliment. But did, did you ever get to meet the Wipers? That's that's crazy. Were you a fan of the Wipers? Uh, yes. I I never saw them play or anything, but our drummer for a long time, Scott Pluff, his brother played drums for the Wipers like in the 90s or whatever. And they lived in a compound together in Tempe or, you know, somewhere in Phoenix, Arizona area. And so we would stay with them when we were touring. And so we met Greg. He was really cool. He was sweet. He came and watched us play and was like, had nice things to say about us. And um, he even built a, um, a compressor for me or a, a preamp for me because he was building stuff, a two preamp that I bought from him. And um, I haven't seen him in 20 years or something, but yeah, that, that band is that band's one, of the, one of the greatest ever. Absolutely. And it's funny because, um, you know, we talked about Nirvana, like talk about a band that, you know, I think influenced Nirvana in such a sonic direct way. When you hear the wipers, you're like, oh, that's that's one of the key influences going on here. Yeah, well, I heard the I heard the wipers on the radio last night when we were driving into town um, from from driving all day from Bellingham, Washington. And um, my girlfriend said it sounded like the OCs. I was like, yeah, it totally sounds like the OCs. Like it was Romeo, Romeo, Rome. Yeah, that's you know, yeah. Like if it, if the Wipers were from England, they would definitely be a band that would be on the cover of like Mojo or Uncut. Like they're like a band that sadly just kind of gets glossed over by everything else. But oh my god, those songs! Oh yeah, but anyone anyone who's heard them loves them. I don't know anyone that's heard them that doesn't love them. Yeah, it's one of those things that like you're that guaranteed. Such a cool voice. It's just those guitar tones yeah everything about them is just so perfect punk it's just like a part of the american songbook <laughs> type thing. well this conversation will go down in the canadian songbook of great podcasts and doug i can't thank you enough for doing it uh, a pleasure anytime thank you doug for coming on the show when you heard right there doug will be back for a part two at some point in the future, because there's a lot more to talk about. We talked a lot longer off air, too. So uh, that'll happen. You know, that's the thing. It may take a long time to happen, but they do eventually all happen on Turned Out of Punk. Speaking about things that are going to be happening on Turned Out of Punk, on the next episode of Turned Out of Punk, one of my favorite, favorite guitar players ever, from the band Richard Hell and the Voidoids, from uh, just legendary like i'm one of the greatest of all time ivan julian will be on the next episode of turned out of punk and believe me we find out some cool connections this is this is gonna go places that uh well i certainly didn't expect it to go and you'll hear that on the next episode well that's it for me remember as always black lives matter the lives and issues faced by indigenous peoples all over the world matter we need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hate and violence directed towards people of different faiths, different sexualities, different races, because what we're talking about here are not political issues. These are just basic human rights issues. People deserve to be able to live free from uh, fear of hatred of violence. No one deserves to have to worry about this shit. So, and I would also add to this, we need to make sure that people have the right to choose what they want to do with their reproductive systems. So if there's organizations that are affecting positive change in this world, get involved. And, you know, if you can lend your money, maybe lend money. If you can lend your time, lend some time, lend your support and, and help affecting the change you want to see in this world. Speaking about changing things, 
get involved and, and create culture in punk. Cause anyone can do this stuff. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast, maybe not a podcast, do something and it'll make, uh, you know, make the punk you want to see. Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them and they can really help someone else uh, live a very long and healthy life. So, uh, sign that card. I've seen it perform. I've seen, I've seen it provide miracles for people. I guess the organs itself didn't perform the miracle, but the organ transplant person performed a miracle by providing that organ to that person. Have I? Uh, and try meditating because I didn't believe in it and I find I use it all the time now. So maybe it'll work for you too. Well, that's it for me. Thank you everyone for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.